0: But wasn't being. This episode of Meet the Junior Misses.
1: Ooh, you gotta keep those notes short. Don't give away that you don't know how to sing well. Ooh, keep those notes short. If you never do a long one, they'll never know. That you really struggle to hold those notes, yeah! Oh, don't sing a long note, sing a long note, and you give away your secret. Oh, never sing a long note, nobody must know that you can't hit a long note. If you hit the long note, you give it away.
2: Alright! skiddy pop, beep beep-boop-bop, skiddy-doop-bow Ooh, should've kept those notes
1: short Now you've been fired from your jazz band Ta-ta, should've kept those notes short I thought singing short notes was what we had planned
2: Never, ever, ever sing a along, note.
0: From the mid-1950s until his capture in 1975, the man authorities would call the Jazz Strangler terrorized communities across the country. Bowen Charles was a righteous killer. His victims ranged from the ill-mannered to the violent, if you tipped less than 14% at a delicatessen and Bowen Charles learned about it, it was curtains for you. Bowen Charles was a World War II army scout involved in close quarters combat. After the war, this hero returned to America via Paris. He played in numerous jazz bands, finally forming the Bowen Charles Quintet in 1954. This is Primetime True Crime with Roberto Roberts. The Bowen Charles Story. The man we know as the Jazz Strangler was born Betzal Yagid. His nickname as a kid was Charlie, which he then Americanized to Charlie. He waited or jazzed it, and Bowen Charles was born. During his war years, Bowen Charles participated in a plot to kill Hitler. The plot was thwarted, and from that day forward, Bowen Charles was convinced that one of his comrades had given his name to Hitler. B-A-R-O-S. Ever after, he thought he saw Nazi spies lurching towards him from every street corner. One steamy night in Florida, Baron Charles' career as a mass murderer began. I sat down with the Jazz Strangler's main friend and confidant, Mal Twiplet.
1: Well, when I first met that tiny twitchy man, I... Just thought, man, this guy's a great bass player and band leader. I was just a young piano man looking to make a couple of bucks, and I thought this is the guy who's going to take me with him to jazzy stardom. It's always a hard realization to come to that your main friend is a murderer. He'd often fly into these small fits of rage but I just thought it was the drugs we were all doing. I often thought there was a tiny green man slapping me on the side of my face but it was just drugs I mean if you get into jazz you're with a load of guys like that all the time men who'll take and take and take I mean I was in it for my family I was rare but to be honest I never saw that family. Looking back with the benefit of hindsight it all started on the night of what's come to be known as the Baron Charles Beatbox Incident. I have never understood that term. That was the night we lost the great drumming legend, Flab White. Greatest jazz drummer I ever did work with. It was me, on piano. The Baron, playing the bass. Silent Joe, on guitar. Gee, that guy really knows how to speak his mind. And Hoagy Krabs, playing them tune percussions. It was shortly after Flab White had passed away that he started thinking Hitler was behind everything. I mean... He'd see a man pay with pennies at the store or someone cut in front of a lady in a line and he'd chase him down and he'd say, Hey, how are you involved in Hitler's secret plot to get me? Baron became increasingly isolated and insular. And everybody used to say to him, Ain't you Hoagie Krabs his friend? And he would say, I am not his friend. And every time that Hoagie was brought up, he'd just get more and more unhinged. And he went, I think in his mind, from being the band leader and the innovator. To just some guy. Just some guy who's Hoagie Krabs' friend. Just some guy on tour being hunted city to city by Adolf Hitler. And Hoagie was only 12 or 13 at the time and no adult man wants to be seen to have a child friend. That's just weird.
0: Another member of the Bowen Charles Quintet was Silent Joe McCluskey. Mr. McCruskey, thank you so much for sitting down. I know you are very busy with your public speaking gigs. Can you please describe the terrible, horrible scene that you stumbled upon that night in Florida? That sounds horrific. time. True Crime will be back after this brief commercial break yo i'm hoagie crabs international musician and inventor of the crustacean station i'm back in philly and i'm inviting you to my new restaurant hoagie's crabs do you like your crab meat light or dark it doesn't matter we've got it all at hoagie's crabs you can get hoagie's crabs oysters no. no! Roast beef sandwich, gray or extra gray. Whatever you want, the meat's gonna be dry and the bread's gonna be wet. Make sure you try our Three Mile Island Dressing, it'll blow your head off. <laughs> Succulent crab breast, straight from the Tinicum Marsh. Try our Steel! it's a steal and then take a dip in our 24-hour hot tub. Bring your bathing suit, but if not, you can just wear your boxers. Crab Dust is free. We're located in Center City, Philadelphia, right underneath the Ben Franklin statue. Just look for Crab Lad, you can't miss him, but don't make eye contact. Crab Lad might pinch you, and we don't wanna get sued again. Open 24 hours, after 10 p.m., Crab Lad's armed for your protection. At Hoagie's Crabs, if you find a wetter sandwich, we'll eat it. Welcome back to Primetime Tool Climb. Vlad Domingo was the FBI agent in charge of the Bowen Charles investigation.
3: Now, by the time the FBI got involved, this case had been going on for several years, and it had been befuddling law enforcement officials from California all the way to Florida. There was a lot of people stumped on this, and no one had noticed the one thing that all these crimes had in common was music. My keen eye of detection happened to observe that there was this musical connection in crime after crime after crime. Like, for example, in the first crime, everybody knew that a G-string from an upright bass had been used to garrote the victim. And that had been used, like, if you can imagine opening a bag of potato chips, like, you squeeze it and you pop it right open. And instead of being like a, I don't know, like a plain flavor, that flavor is blood and guts and tongue and bits. And then in the second crime scene, what I observed was that it was an A-string from an upright bass. And then in the third crime scene, what I observed was that it was an E string from an upright bass. And this time, there was also a pork pie hat and a, like a little bow tie that had been opened up the collar and was a bit sweaty. The, the kind you'd, like, you'd wear and you'd be like, oh my gosh, I've been performing for so long. Kind of like a Rat Pack. But I still wasn't sure in my heart of hearts what instrument the killer might have used. So I knew that I had to go find myself a, mucolo- a, mucolo- a musicologist, and there was only one man for the job, a piany man by the name of Mole Triplett.
0: It seems very well for the FBI to ask a musician to collaborate on an investigation.
1: I said, hey, Mole Triplett ain't no snitch. And they said, we'll give you $25,000. I said, who do you need me to snitch on?
3: So once Maul got finished informing on all of his former bandmates, we got down to the matter at hand. Because let me tell you, jaywalking ain't a federal offense. We began to look at the crime photographs.
1: As well as the words die Nazi in blood, there was always this strange pattern of blood splatters that seemed to be not random because they were almost in the same position every time. And he started drawing
3: staves. Now, he drew staves in blood, which was weird, because these were photographs. He cut his finger, and he would pour blood to make it look authentic, so it would match up with the photograph, because that's the kind of dedication this piany man has.
1: And he said, look at this. And what I saw that day shook me to my very core. That chord was a B minor nine flat five. I thought to myself, I'm about to snitch on the one man I swore I would never snitch on.
0: I understand at a certain point in time, your path and Bowen Charles' path diverged.
1: He got a call from one of the coolest cats in jazz. He got the Miles Davis call, and that's the call we all want. Charles joined the band. He, he left the quintet. I tried to carry on as Piany Man Mole and his Manly Mole man. But no one could pronounce the band name. I mean, how hard is it to say Piano Man maul, and is Manly Mullen Man? I'll say it three times fast. Piano Man maul, and his Manly Mullen Man. Piano Man maul, and is Manly Mullen Man, etc. When
3: Baron Charles joined up with Miles Davis, the killings went down. There were no killings for a short period of time until the Kilimanjaro album of Miles Davis, because in that album, Miles Davis played in F, and Baron Charles told me he refused to play in F, and this led to an altercation between the two. What happened was that Miles Davis drew his gun, and Baron Charles ripped the D string off of his upright bass, and the two of them went at it. Now, I don't know if you know much about gunplay, but a gun versus a D-string, even on an
1: upright bass? No contest. And then after that, musically, the Baron was just trying to copy Miles Davis in everything he did. Miles Davis would bring out Bitches Brew. Same year, Charles is bringing out Tart's Beverage. Next year, Davis does Live Evil. Baron Charles does Dead Good. Same album, just with double bass instead of trumpet. And a lot of people said that he was just some sort of plagiarist. And I'll tell you what, he did not like that at all. So early in
3: 1975, I get a tip from Maul Triplett that Baron Charles will be in Los Angeles, California, recording his new album, Sky Men, a song by song response to what will become Miles Davis's 1976 album, Water Babies. Now, prior to this, we had laid out a map of America and lined up all of the killings with Baron Charles' various tour dates and found a perfect match. So what I did was use my keen detective skills to arrange the perfect trap. I decided to go undercover and pose as a fan And I went into the recording studio dressed as a naive Catholic schoolgirl with a copy of the album Dead Good. And I said, Sir, will you sign my album? And he said, Who do I make it out to? And I said, Could you make that out to Brad Domingo? And when he did, I knew I had him. Because that D in Brad and that D in Domingo, well, they lined up perfectly with Die Nazi.
0: Mr. Twipwit, how did Bowen Charles respond to the knowledge that you were the informant in his case?
1: Well, I didn't see the man until he was sitting actively on trial for these murders. And he was saying all sorts of things, but he was staring right at me, and his eyes seemed to say, I forgive you. I love you. You are my jazz brother. Thank you so much for catching me and ending my reign of
3: terror. In the courtroom that day, I have never seen a defendant as angry as Baron Charles was when he saw Maul Triplet. He rose up from the chair and said, I will never forgive you. I hate you. You are not my jazz brother. I can't believe you helped catch me. When did you choose Hitler over me?
0: Baron Charles was arrested in 1975 on his journey for a murderer to jazz genius, and back to Motowo again. He died incarcerated. This has been Prime Time to a Quime with Roberto Roberts.
1: On the next Malls, Malls of America. When I was a young boy, there were no malls. Then, when I was a man, there were some malls. Now, I'm an old man. Where have all the malls gone? Hi, I'm Mole Triplett. You might know me as a Piany Man. Welcome to Malls, Malls of America. Join us as we speak to some fine Americans who are keeping the tradition of the mall alive. Look yonder, a young woman folding t-shirts in the Abercrombie and Fitch. She told me her name was Hot Pants.
0: Me, my name's Hot Pants. Yeah, I'm Hot Pants Fitch the third.
1: Of the Abercrombie and Fitch, Hot Pants.
0: Yeah, I work here.
1: Shouldn't you be living in some ivory tower off of the money your family made found in Abercrombie and Fitch?
0: Not anymore. My idiot grandfather, Elihu Fitch, sold our company to some creep and now I have to work here and I'm not even a manager. A
1: fine example of the fall of the mole with me, mole triplet.
0: I have to wear these stupid t-shirts. Look at this one. It says sex in the What even is that? So stupid. I'm 14 years old.
1: This t-shirt here just seems to say, I need a spicy dick. If it were up to you, what would these t-shirts say?
0: I mean, we used to sell shirts that said things like, I need a spicy dick that went to Harvard. And now, that spicy dick could have gone to community college and no one would even notice.
1: So what, in your opinion, is causing this fall of the malls?
0: It was Upton Sinclair's The Jungle. He ruined everything. I don't want my dick double on Tundra shirts made in China. I want them made by children in America. Like they should be. I mean, what is this, Panda Express? Now they have to go to school. They're not making any money for their family. My entire lineage is distraught over this.
1: I could sense a frustration in her angry words. For the next three hours, I sat down at the piano collect my thoughts. Then, I sat down again with my good friend, Orange Julius. Picture this. Hot dog on a
3: stick. Panda Express. Me. The Sabaro brothers. That was the food court. You know, because the food court was a bit like God's French room where you could go and you could sit down and have a stand-up meal. This was a productive moment in America where the mild was an aspiration. It was something that you could look up to. You know, Ernest and Julio Zabarro, God rest their souls, these guys were stand-up guys. And now you got a Zabarro at every airport in America. Oh, the old hair, a Zabarro at the old hair, now that is a nice production.
1: But what about the mall? Now,
3: the thing that I understand that I think is pretty interesting about this whole story is how the mall fell apart, right? Because originally... When I say it was hot dog on a stick. Now, hot dog on a stick, if you've never had a hot dog on a stick, maybe you had a hot dog in a bun. Hot dog in a bun, that's no fun. I don't know who's doing that. What is that, like a baseball thing? You'd never see that at Wrigley Field, I'll tell you that. You're never going to watch the Cubbies uh, have a hot dog on a uh, know Hot dog, anyway, other than a hot dog on a stick. No.
1: Come on now, Julius. We got to get down to brass turkeys here. What would you say is the cause of the fall of the mall? Two words. Orenthal James Simpson.
3: Those are the two words that ruined the mall and my business. I'm gonna tell you for why as well, right? Because this goes back to when he was a Buffalo Bill. And I don't know if you noticed, know but there's a lot of bad beef between me and the Bills. I refused to allow him to do product placement This was back in the 70s, late 70s, when he was at the top of the bills. So I'm saying, no way, Jose. And he comes to me and he says, look, they call me the juice. And I say, no, sir, I am the juice. You are some other guy. And from that moment, I know he's been plotting his revenge. So when I sees that guy going down the highway in that Bronco, and I turn to my wife and I says, What is that second O.J. doing? What is that second Orenthal James doing to my business? That guy, he's trying to get back at me. And my wife says, you know what? He's trying to get back at you. He's trying to ruin your business. And I think that's the reason that he murdered his ex-wife. He wanted to bring me down. Because I'll tell you, they, they didn't show this on the news, and this was not covered in the court case. But I know for a fact that Ron Goldman, when he went to Nicole Simpson's house had with him a bag that included two delicious Orange Julius drinks. And I know for a fact that one of those drinks was half drunk, and I'm pretty sure that that had O.J. Simpson DNA on it.
1: It was around this point in the interview that I realized that Julius had played himself off of the stage and was suffering from a rare onset of what we now know to be Orange Madness. Join me next week when I'll be talking to Claire, founder of Claire's Accessories, and the man who invented that weird waterfall-type thing that seems to be in the middle of every mall. Thank you, America. Good night. In the
2: winter of 44, he's killing Nazis at the height of war. Twelve years later, back on friendly shores, Seeing Nazis, hoods, pimps, and more. Oh. stress the bloody g-string does
3: about Baron Charles be sure to check out our debut album The Best of Kaycock
0: do you really think people are gonna wanna find out more what is there to find out about
3: this feels a bit staged and planned now rather than organic <laughs> like it was originally when you first did it out now on vinyl from Drift Loud Records Spotify too you could probably also go to our website you can get it there there's also merch <laughs> buy merch the merch is real this is a real ad we really did this that was Meet the Junior Misses Written and performed by Molly Malshine, Mr. Sean Sellers, and Sam Rhodes. Engineered by Sam Rhodes. Edited by Sam Rhodes and Mr. Sean Sellers. That's right. I was there too.
0: Can I hold it? Yeah. Is that okay? Uh, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Of course. i was just trying to give you something okay. to hold on to.